Today on Immigration Nerds, we have Storm Eastet, Senior Attorney for Erickson Immigration Group. Over the past several weeks, we have been bombarded with immigration updates and news. And rather than do a separate episode for each topic, we decided to condense all into one. We cover HR 1044 and how it will affect application times, Trump's asylum plan, the latest in the proposed safe third country agreement with Guatemala, and its court decisions. Lastly, we touch upon Congress's attempts to tackle processing delays. Certainly a busy two weeks in immigration. Let's dive in. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Storm Eastep. It's a pleasure to have you once again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, yes. Today we're doing This Week in Immigration. Over the past week, we've been having news after news, so we decided to encapsulate it all in one episode. So first on the list is H.R. 1044. Mr. Speaker, I rise today in support of H.R. 1044, the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act, a bipartisan bill that would make a modest but important change to our immigration laws to alleviate hardships associated with lengthy visa backlogs. So U.S. House, they pass this bill, and the bill eliminates the per-country cap for employment-based green cards. In addition, family-based cap is now raised from 7% to 15%. So explain to us a little bit about what that means and who does that affect. Yeah, this is the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act of 2019. Um, It's been passed in the House, hasn't been, it's been introduced in the Senate, it hasn't been voted on by the Senate and stuff, so we're kind of like giving this news sort of in the middle of the the legislative process. But Mm -hmm. um, end-game goal of this bill is to really take foreign nationals from all over the world who are applying for various types of employment or family-based cases Uh, immigrant cases in order to get their green cards in the United States and sort of put them into this idea of like first come first serve Mm -hmm. instead of uh, going through the process that they have to go through right now which is let's just take employment basis like you figure out your preference categories so you have the EB1s who are it's like the the genius visas the EB1As Mm -hmm. uh, the outstanding researchers professors the EB1Bs the multinational managers executives EB1Cs Mm -hmm. all first preference and then you know a couple of your perms, national interest waivers and stuff, and the EB2s and EB3s, et cetera. You know, you go on and on to, to build up these categories. And then you have that category and you have your priority date and you have to use your uh, country of origin or if, you know, if you are you have a spouse, uh, you can use their country of origin for the, you know, this idea of cross-chargeability. But essentially, yeah. one, once you figure that out, you use that country's cap. yeah cap based on like how many immigrant visas can go to one country right. sort of a thing and uh, the idea here is that we would get rid of that mm-hmm. and instead it it just matters on your category so well, um, yeah what countries would that affect most yeah so well it really affects the whole world but like right. the the people who would see it like the most drastic change in their green card obtainment process would be uh, India and China. The, mm-hmm. They're the really the oversubscribed countries, especially for like the EB2 and EB3 categories. We're seeing um, qualified professionals who've gone through those processes and, you know, must wait. In some, it's, it's like 10 years or so, right? right. In order to, to actually ha- uh, be able to apply and receive their green card. What they'll see is this will shrink as this goes instead of like 
dealing with country specific quotas and caps and everything into like a worldwide category just mm. based on their their category but the other side of it though too are foreign nationals who are from countries who aren't oversubscribed who are used to seeing these green card cases kind of go by go pretty smoothly yeah and pretty smooth pretty quick mm-hmm. uh beyond like the government's processing times which we'll talk about later but um the they will see you know they're going to eventually after an implementation period be put into this worldwide category so it doesn't matter so much where you're from anymore it just matters what preference you are and when you applied that's what's going to matter the most right and so for the family base too it's just we're we're increasing again india and china um still the most oversubscribed countries but there'll be some relief from that maybe not quite as much as the employment-based change because it's totally getting rid of the right. the country-specific idea, but there will be some relief there. So removing the cap in total for the countries that's oversubscribed, as you were saying, mm-hmm. um, they will see a little bit of, of a faster process. What will the people from countries that are not oversubscribed, like, yes. what would their process be? Right. When they get put into that um, pool with, with everyone else, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's all going to depend on their, their category and then their priority date. And so um, they will see the process slow down, which is a bummer for them. But if they think about like the, the idea of this, you know, it's fairness and it's the first word of the title. Right. And so right. just because you're from country A and this person's from country B and you're applying for the same category and you're, you're both qualified the same way. They shouldn't be penalized just because of the country, well, they the come country from. they're from. Right. right. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of this idea. And we're actually, you know, this is pretty bipartisan support. Um, it went through mm-hmm. the House pretty easily. It's expected that it would go through the Senate pretty easily. Um, I don't know how the executive is going to view signing this into law who knows what you know what i mean yeah. I could... well that's what i was saying potential <laughs> outcomes we'll... fire off a tweet or yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see <laughs> never know just a tweet away yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah the potential outcomes if if we keep moving down the bipartisan route here of like getting rid of these you know for or expanding in the family-based uh case it's just yeah um it's going to take the extreme delays that we're seeing for some countries away and kind of put everyone into a more fair boat. First come, first serve is the idea. Yeah. Right. Got it. So let's move to the Trump's new asylum plan. In the day's other news, the White House accused a federal court of judicial tyranny for blocking new asylum rules for migrants. The rules denied legal asylum to migrants at the southern border who passed through another country first. The judge in San Francisco put the policy on hold pending a final court decision. That superseded another judge's decision to let the policy stand. The White House had praised that ruling. On July 15th, the White House proposed uh, this new asylum plan. It would effectively bar migrants from seeking asylum in the U.S. if they have traveled through another country first. And this is really directed to like what's happening in the southern border. So, for example, if there is an asylum seeker coming from uh, Guatemala and they pass through Mexico first to come to America, this proposal will say they will first have to apply for asylum in Mexico before they ever get to the U.S., correct? Sure, yeah. So it's this idea that 
you've already been in another country and then there be this idea that there's a safe third country for you to apply. It doesn't need to be the United States. Mm-hmm. It's essentially this idea. If you're a foreign national who is able to make it to the United States and you have a well-founded fear of persecution of being returned to your home country, mm-hmm. you can go through an asylum process in the United States. The, the idea that we're just going to now turn these people away. And there, there are pragmatic realities here, too. The asylum officers that exist in countries like Mexico and Guatemala and stuff, because like when you're the people fleeing the gang violence in Honduras and El Salvador and stuff, right. they often will go through Guatemala first as well. And I know that one account of this was like there are three asylum officers who would handle this type of thing in the mm. country of Guatemala. This deal will likely face legal challenges as well as logistical ones. The agency in Guatemala responsible for handling asylum claims tells CBS News it only has eight employees. They usually handle a few hundred asylum applications each year. But under this new deal, they could potentially have to process thousands. They say they expect to hire more people, but can't confirm. The fact that, you know, the idea that they would have to adjudicate themselves, it's like, yeah, there's no way. It's just not a, and it, it, it's just a, a real way to, turn away people who you know should have the ability to go through the legal system yeah. so it's like this is going to be fought heavily and i think it's illegal like the the plan mm. is for several reasons and so i i don't think this is actually going to be the law of the land or or how things are going to, to process right so what is the reasoning that the white house is giving for implementing this plan uh I'm sure the White mm. House's idea is more this, you know, these ideas of like integrity with our, uh, you know, mm. the whole asylum process. Like if these foreign nationals are in another country already, if they can safely relocate from the situation that they're fleeing from in that country, then they should do that there first. They shouldn't always right. come to the United States. But right. at the same time, that's just not how the law works. If you make it to the United States and you have a claim for asylum, you're allowed to move forward with your asylum based on your well-founded fear of persecution in your home country. Right. I mean, just on the legal side, that's true. But in practice, when you're fleeing from a territory, let's say uh, gang violence, right? And you're being targeted, right? Your family's being targeted. A lot of those territories spread throughout countries right it's not just located in one country like they they have factions and territories that may spread out into mexico so applying for asylum in mexico might not do you any good because the same thing that you was leaving in another country well and the government can't protect you from it is sort of the idea too right right? so it's like Yes, the gang violence is actually tough for people from Central America because this isn't persecution based on your race or your political opinion or something. Mm-hmm. And it's something that everybody is experiencing in the country. And so mm-hmm. those are tougher claims to try to get them into a particular social group. Yeah, right. That, right. So that's something that we'll definitely keep our eyes on as we move forward with that. The next is Congress hearing on USCIS processing. The agency reports that the current net backlog as of April 2019 stands at more than 2.4 million cases. This represents an incredible 344% increase from the net backlog of cases in 2014. Backlogs and processing delays create real-life problems for people trying to navigate our complex immigration system. Imagine 
a domestic violence survivor unable to escape her abuser because her request for protection has languished for months. A startup company abandoning a key project that will lead to substantial job creation because it is unable to get a visa for a specialty engineer. This is a, a conversation that's been since the beginning of time. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> the, the delays. Congresswoman uh, Zoe Lofgren brought it to the table. Could you tell us a little bit about that conversation in Congress and what the delays were about? Sure. So Congress had a hearing on July 18th, essentially established that, yes, we do indeed have processing delays with USCIS, sort of touches everything that USCIS touches. Right. And there, there was a little bit of like fact finding about like why these delays occur mm -hmm. or if recent executive changes that have been made um, and how USCIS operates in the last few years have led to these sorts of, but, you know, both Trump and Obama policies were discussed and how they've contributed to the backlog that we're currently seeing. Whether Congress can help didn't seem super well received. It wasn't like, yes, there's a magic bullet solution. We can fix this all tomorrow if Congress acts. It wasn't like that at all. Sort of everyone knows this who goes through, who deals right. with immigration. It's like, yes, this, this agency is they're busy it, it doesn't seem like they're staffed the level that they need to be staffed at um and their retainment policy isn't the best for for their staffing Even procedural wise of, yeah. well yeah well, lately too yes um there there are certain procedures that have been added the only thing you can expect is that it would delay the process so you have people who uh, used to not have to go to AOS interviews because they, they very clearly didn't have inadmissibility issues uh, to be discussed at an AOS interview. Mm -hmm. But now everybody has to have AOS interviews. And, th and this was brought up at the hearing where right. it's like, on one side, it's like, of course, this is going to lead to further delays, processing time. There's no way to do that without that. Most of the policy changes that have been implemented by the administration appear to be intended to make adjudications more complicated and therefore more time-consuming and more difficult for individuals to obtain legal status in this country. From my perspective, these policy changes seem to fix things that were not broken to begin with and only serve to create unnecessary obstacles to legal immigration. For example, last August, USCIS suddenly announced that it would impose harsh penalties on non-immigrant students who violate their status. Even if the violation was not knowing or intentional, was based on a technical error or was de minimis. Thankfully, the court stepped in and this policy is now on hold. Another example is USCIS's determination, without any justification, of its longstanding policy of waiving the in-person interview requirement for employment-based green card applicants. Most of these individuals have been in the United States for years on temporary visas and have been screened and vetted repeatedly. Now interviews are mandatory for everyone and backlogs are growing exponentially. On the other side, you, the USCIS officials are pointing out that they feel it adds integrity to the immigration process. And right. so it's like you always have these policy. But if, if the hearing itself is on processing delay, yes, obviously the, those, those new changes would do it. So bringing this uh, conversation to Congress, which this has been a, a longstanding issue, um, does that mean uh, Congress is likely to help this situation or do anything uh, about it? So it's not abundantly clear what they can do. Um, you know, they, they obviously have the power of the purse. They can give money to the agency. And then even the agency itself, when that was discussed, it didn't seem like 
you know, oh, yes, we just need this much more money and then everything will be fine. And it's not even clear this idea that, well, why don't we just raise the fees or something um, that that does happen within USAID. But I don't think it's going to solve it tomorrow or something. So, I mean, right. what I think this hearing did and solve it, it, it is bringing this issue to the forefront right. and it's um, it a public yeah debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like it, it, even if it functions as that, that is an important step our government officials at the highest level are acknowledging that this is a problem and that's the first step in solving any problem. Lastly, the White House is also designating aliens for expedited removal. Yeah. So, right. right. So this was an expansion of this idea of expedited removal. So expedited removal always has always existed. It, it's really for situations where a foreign national is picked up like right after they they cross the border sort of a thing or mm-hmm. like it's only been a few days since they've been here and they're within the 100 miles of the border sort of a thing and this is just a process where the government official that ICE essentially can essentially handle the deportation themselves they don't need to cuz people have due process rights right? right and so this if you're going to be removed from the country you, know, you have a right to notice and like being able to appear before an immigration judge and things like this right to go through the normal yes we have a normal route for for removal um Mm -hmm. to go through and could lead to deportation or voluntary departure any any of those things right here they're expediting that process yeah so they're expanding this idea of expedited uh removal from just like those essentially the border area situations where it's like within those 100 miles and it's like people who haven't been here for it's like less than two weeks right um into now they can use it if anywhere in the country but that you've not able to demonstrate that you've been here for like two years or more sort of a thing okay so for all people who've been in the u.s for two years or less and they're going through that process right now maybe they have like an attorney and they're going through the interview process will they still fall under this expedited um so in that case maybe not because you know if they're if they're seeking asylum they've they've kind of gone it sounds at that point they would have gone through um some sort of process where they can demonstrate that they have something pending you know i.e their asylum but uh this would apply more to people you know sort of undocumented now aren't availed of the normal removal process this is now the expedited removal where they don't get to go before a judge that's why our government processes for situations like this where you have to go to court and stuff are slow by design Mm. you know the idea would be that you know you would have time to be able to go to a judge and and it's not like the immigration courts are the best system in the world either it's just oftentimes better than the alternatives because like Mm. this alternative would be an ICE official can essentially, they're your judge, sort of a thing. They can Jury execution. Yeah. Everything. And, and they can, uh, you know, and they make mistakes. I mean, like this this whole process is designed to, to move so fast. Um, you can have people who just aren't able to articulate or, you know, prove their situation right now. I mean, U.S. citizens and stuff, too, who might be subjected to these weird situations where now that uh, – ICE has this power and they're looking to use it, could be subjected to all kinds of things. I mean, there are numbers where 300,000 people are now anticipated to be at risk for a a policy like this. And these are, sure, people that may need to go through normal removal proceedings, but that's such a large scale. Right, but that's Mm -hmm. also what 
most people want, like that who believe in due process, is this idea that if fine if they if they need to go through removal proceedings, let them do that with you know in immigration court. But right, they yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, July twenty third. Well, that was this week in immigration. <laughs> very busy week. Yeah, very a busy week. In closing, do you have anything that's on the horizon that you looking forward to in terms of immigration? Uh, any sort of policies that yes. we should keep our eyes on? I definitely think, uh, you know, the Senate companion to the Fairness for High Skilled Immigrant Act of 2019, when, when that finally comes through um, and is put to, so the, the House bill was, you know, in suspension of the rules and it could have done that because it, it was so non-controversial that two-thirds plus of the House voted for it. We could see something similar for the Senate, so that could kind of pop up and, and be passed without any debates or anything. That could all happen very fast, and so people should, you know, set up a Google alert for that or something <laughs> just to stay stay apprised. For sure, for sure. Uh, Storm, once again, it's always great to have you on, and of course. I, I appreciate your time. Yeah, of course, Ian. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG Nerds Podcast to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.